we've heard over and over again from people in this series, you told us to ask God what he wants us to pray for. And I asked God what he wanted me to pray for, and then something came to mind, and I didn't want to pray for that. I've heard that a lot from people. And yet there's been something about that work, something about that seeking God that he's been using in significant ways in our lives. Today, we are going to talk about a parable of Jesus. And the par- a parable is a short story picture that Jesus uses to do a teaching about his kingdom. And today, we're looking at the parable of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18. Now, I'm going to need two volunteers. I need a man and I need a woman. And your, your characters are both a little bit obnoxious, okay? So I need a man and a woman who can put on that act, okay? Don't, yeah, don't all run up here. Need a man and I need a woman. Okay, yep, I can't see who that is back there. Good, good, come on up. All right, and, oh, were you volunteering? Yes, 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 come on up. Awesome, okay, great. Help me with your name. Leanne. Leanne, okay, are you ready, are you ready for this? Can you do the obnoxious thing? Yes. Okay, you can, okay, you can act it up. And what's your name? Jack. Jack, Leanne and Jack, thank you, thank you. Nice to meet you both. Thank you. The fact that you're like, that I don't know you and that you're up on the stage, like, you're awesome people. So, okay, okay, (laughs) okay. So, okay, so I'm going I'm to start reading the story, and I'm going I'm to help you know what to do, okay? okay? Okay, so it begins like this. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. Church, I want you to say, always pray and never give up. Jesus said, in a certain town, there was a judge. Raise your hand, judge. Who neither feared God, say, I don't fear God, God. nor cared what people thought. Say, I do not care what you think. I don't care what you think. (laughs) Good. Are you you convinced? Okay. Okay. And there is a widow in this town. Raise your hand, widow. And now, now, you need to know that widows in this time were extremely vulnerable. Widows were not permitted to work. There was no public welfare system. And so if you did not have a family member taking care of you, you were just dependent on if people happened to give you food, happened to give you money, happened to take care of you. And so a very, very vulnerable people group. So there's this widow in that town. And the passage continues. There was a widow in that town who kept coming to the judge with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Okay, so you you just yell out, grant me justice against... Against my adversary. Against my adversary. And sh- it says that she kept doing that over and over again. Now, you're, you, you are not going to give it to her. No. Oh, no, 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 no. You are not going to give her that. And so she keeps coming to you. So on Sunday, she goes and she says, grant me justice against my adversary. And on Tuesday, she goes to him and she says, grant me justice against my adversary. And on Wednesday, she goes to him and says, and in the morning, she goes to him and says, and in the evening, she goes to him and says, and it says in verse four, for some time, he refused. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, okay, now say something to yourself. Yep. (laughs) He said to himself, even though I don't fear God, go ahead and sit. And even though I do not care what people think, 
because this widow keeps bothering me, because this widow keeps bothering me I'm going to give her what she wants so that she won't come and attack me. Fine, fine, he says. I'm going to give her what she wants because she keeps bothering me. And that's the end of Jesus' story. Jesus tells this story. There's a widow who says, grant me justice against my adversary. Grant me justice against my adversary. No, 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 no. And finally he's like, fine. You are so annoying. I'm going to give you what you want. Fine. That's a story Jesus told. Okay? Now we know Jesus is teaching this parable about prayer. Because at the very beginning it says, then Jesus told them this parable so that they would always pray and Here's what's not happening in the story. Here's what's not happening. The judge does not represent God. God is not grumpy. God is not stingy. God is not unjust and selfish. God it does not refuse to answer. The judge is not like God. Neither does the widow fully represent us. This widow is, is destitute. She is alone. And Jesus tells us that we are children of God who are beloved sons and daughters. In fact, the phrase he uses a little later in this parable is that we are his chosen ones, treasured, beloved, and cared for by our Heavenly Father, not cast out. Bible scholars have a name for this kind of parable. In fact, our urban residency that we have here at City Life has a group of people going through a class right now called the Methods of Bible Study class. It's kind of like a geeky class about, like, how do we interpret the Bible and what methods do we use for biblical study. And one of the things that's used in this parable is something called the argument from the lesser to the greater. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. And how this works is it's this idea that if even an unjust judge, like a nasty person, will give in to persistent begging, how much more will a loving God pay attention to the intercessions of his children who are his chosen ones? If even that nasty beast of a character will give in, how much more will a loving God respond to our requests? Luke continues in verse 6, And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. He says God is not like that unjust judge who had to be badgered. Those of you who are parents and have children, you know exactly this scenario, that you say no, and then your kids bug you so much that eventually you say yes, not because you want to, but just to get them off your back. That's what this parable is all about. But what, what Jesus is saying here is that's not how God works. That's not how God works. How much more will a God who loves you respond to you than this judge who had to be badgered like that? God hears and responds to your prayers. 
Verse 1 tells us, Jesus told this parable to show them that they should always pray and always pray and never give up. Jesus says this because he seems to anticipate that a time is going to come when we are not going to want to pray anymore and we are going to want to give up. Jesus seems to anticipate that at some point we're going to have this experience of growing weary in our prayers. Jesus seems to anticipate that at some point we're going to experience the dynamic of feeling like our prayers are useless. Jesus seems to anticipate that at some point we will be discouraged. And Jesus seems to anticipate that at some point we will stop persevering in prayer because we think it won't matter anymore. So he tells this parable so that we will always pray and never give up. And then he concludes this parable about always praying and never giving up with an interesting question. He says in verse 8, however, when the Son of Man comes, he's talking about himself, he's saying, when I come back, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith? When Jesus returns for a second coming, will people still be faithful? Will people persist in faithfulness? Or will they have stopped persisting? Will they be persisting in faith or will they have given up? Today is our fourth and final week in our intercessory prayer series on boot camp for beggars. You have been challenged to pray. You have been challenged to ask God, God, how do you want me to pray? Intercessory prayer is shifting from our focus on prayers for ourselves to praying for others. That's what interceding means, to pray for other people. And you've been challenged to ask God, God, how do you want me to intercede for other people? And today I'm going to, at the end of the sermon, I'm going to invite you to do that one more week. To one more week, engage in that discipline, engage in that boot camp, engage in that practice, engage in the work of the development of your own life and your own spiritual practices, and ask the Lord, Lord, how do you want me to engage in persevering in prayer this week? And I want to leave you today with some words of encouragement, with a message of encouragement to always pray and... Yes, number one. Encouragement to persevere in intercessory prayer. Number one, it is by praying that we partner with God. And if some of this sounds familiar from previous weeks, good. If it doesn't, then listen up. Back in the Garden of Eden, God created man and woman. And do you remember what God said to them? He blessed them. This is the crowning glory of his creation, the only creation that's made in the image of God. No other creation is made in the image of God other than man and woman. And the scriptures in Genesis say that God blessed them, and he told them, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves along the earth. He commissions the humans, he delegates his authority to the man and the woman to rule over the creation side by side together. He thus creates a partnership between God and humanity, and it is God's good pleasure to rule the earth through people. 
It is God's good pleasure to work on this earth through humans. He does this when he sends his son Jesus in the form of a human. He gets his work done here through Jesus in the form of a human. He does this when he gives his Holy Spirit to humans. He does this when he talks about the church is the body of Christ, and it is through the body of Christ, the us, the humans, that he gets his work done in this world. I don't understand why God would pick you to do this, but he has picked you to do this. I don't understand why he's picked me to do it. But it is God's good pleasure to work through people. And prayer is the partnership in which this plays out. It is our communication with God. It is his communication to us. And in this mysterious, mystical act of prayer, there is a power that is often unleashed in that as we connect with God in his purposes. Prayer becomes the natural language between us and God. As we live life together and as God works in us, through us, and with us to accomplish his work in the world. It's by praying that we partner with God. It is through this intimacy that there is fruitfulness. You will not have a fruitful Christian life without intimacy with God. Sometimes people think, I will, I will, for, I'm going to like do all this stuff for God and do this stuff for God and then I'm going to feel close to God. Then I'll feel intimate with God. That's backwards. You have to have intimacy with God first and the fruitfulness flows out of that. Here's what happens. Here's what does not happen when we pray. First of all, we are not controlled by God. It's not like we go into a state of prayer and God is controlling every single thing on earth and then he controls our prayer and then he gets things done by, by manipulating us. The prayer is not about God manipulating us to do certain things. We also do not control God. We don't manipulate God. It's not like our prayers force God to act in a way that he doesn't want to act. We do not change God's will. But sometimes our prayers will change God's mind. Sometimes our prayers do change how God chooses to act on this earth. Uh, one example comes from Exodus chapter 32. Moses and God are having a little mountaintop, like super, like super awesome spiritual moment together. And then God says, okay, Moses, it's time for you to go and face reality because your people, those Israelites, they are your people. They are so stubborn and they have turned away from me again. And I've about had it with them. You need to go tell them that I'm going to go kill them all and wipe them all out because I am, I've just had it. They're now worshiping other gods and they are unfaithful to me again. And Moses intercedes. He comes in between the people and God. He intercedes and he begs God, God, please don't. God, please give them a chance to repent. And Exodus 32, 14 says, then the Lord relented and did not bring about on his people the disaster he had threatened. So he changes. He doesn't change his will. He doesn't change his will to bring justice to the ungodly injustice, but he does change his plans in the way he acts in response to the request that Mo the intercession that Moses brings. Similarly, there's the story of Jonah. You perhaps know the story of Jonah and the big fish, and Jonah is told to go to the people of Nineveh. When he finally actually does go to Nineveh, God has given him this message, preach to the Ninevites and tell them, you need to repent because otherwise God's going to destroy you. 
And so he preaches, you've got to repent, otherwise God's going to destroy you. And Jonah's pretty convinced that they're not going to repent, but they do. They do repent. And so because of that, uh, Jonah 3 verse 10 says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. This is because of the intercession of a person, a person who goes in between and intercedes. Prayer and spirituality have this participation together. And we, we're involved in God's actions. We participate in God's actions. But we don't manipulate or control God's actions, and he doesn't manipula manipulate or control us. There is this partnership in prayer. It is through prayer that we get things done. Now, how many of you are people who would say, I'm, I'm a doer. I like to like, do stuff. Like, just let me be busy. Let me do stuff. Prayer sometimes is something we don't want to do because you, have to, like, you feel like you have to sit. You have to sit still. <laughs> but prayer is the most active thing we can do. Prayer is the way that we participate. Uh, Oswald Chambers says that prayer is the work that we do. Prayer is the work. We don't just work. Prayer is the work, and it is through prayer that work gets done. By some mystery, God uses this language of prayer, this dialogue between us to bring his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. It's amazing. So persevere in intercessory prayer. Here's a second encouragement to persevere in intercessory prayer. Number two, you need to know some intercessory prayers will be answered how we want and some will not. Some prayers are going to be answered how you want them to be. Some prayers will not be answered how you want them to be. I just had someone share with me after the first service today. She said, um, I really felt the Lord prompting me to pray for this family member. She's like, I did. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. There's this big thing that was supposed to happen this week. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And she's like, and it didn't happen. And she said, I don't understand. God, I really, really felt like God told me to pray for this person. And I prayed for the thing and it didn't happen. She's like, I don't really understand that. But she said, it hasn't changed my conviction that I believe God still wanted me to pray, even though I, even though I don't understand why the result didn't happen like I thought it was going to. There's this mystery that is involved. Some intercessory prayers will be answered how we want and some won't. Here's a story about the Apostle Peter. This comes from Acts chapter 12. This happens after Jesus has already uh, died, been crucified. He's already risen and has resurrected and has ascended into heaven. And now the, the disciples are all going out and they're talking about Jesus. And all of a sudden this persecution is breaking out on anyone who's, who's considered a Christian. But especially the 12 disciples. They are, there's all kinds of persecution breaking out. And uh, Peter gets targeted. So the evil King Herod seizes Peter. He's like, I know that you're one of Jesus' closest followers. Peter, I'm, arrest, I'm arresting you. I'm going to throw you in prison. It says that Peter was guarded by four squads of four soldiers. There were 16 soldiers assigned to guard Peter while he's already in jail. He's in jail. He's got one soldier. The, the passage describes all this. He's got one soldier chained to one arm, one soldier chained to another arm. He's got two soldiers right outside his door, and then there's soldiers at the, they're, they're all surrounding him. They're layers of all of these soldiers. And so he's in jail. And the scripture says in Acts 12, verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church, say, but the church, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. They're praying, they're praying, 
they're praying. And the night before he's supposed to go to trial, Peter's asleep. He's sleeping between two guards, uh, chained to the soldiers, bound. Sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appears, and the light shines in the prison cell. The angel touches Peter on the side, wakes him up, and he says, quick, get up. And the chains fall off Peter's wrists. Then the angel says, put on your clothes and sandals. Peter does. Wrap your cloak around you and come with me, the angel said. So Peter follows him out of the prison. But he, Peter has no idea that what the angel is doing is really happening. He thinks he's seeing a vision. He thinks it's just a dream or something. So they pass the first guard. They pass the second set of guards. And then they come to the iron gate that leads into the city. The gate opens for them by itself. Is that not the coolest? And they go through. When they had walked the length of one street, then the angel leaves him. And suddenly Peter comes to himself and he says, Oh, now I see the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches. I'm not going to die. And when when this dawns on him, he he runs to the house of Mary, the mother of John, where many people had gathered and were praying. So here it is in the middle of the night. They're all just hanging out. They're all just praying through the night. They're just praying, 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 praying. Peter comes. He knocks on the outer entrance. Servant girl comes to answer the door. She hears Peter's voice, you know, because they're all scared, right? Because this is things are not good for the disciples of Jesus. They are on guard. And she hears Peter's voice through the door. She's so excited, she runs back without opening the door. And she tells him, hey, Peter's at the door. And you're out of your mind, they say. And but she says, no, really, it's really Peter. And they say, but so Peter keeps on knocking. He keeps on knocking. He's like, let me in. Like, they're going to come after me. Let me in. And uh, they open the door and they see him and they're amazed. Peter, Peter says, be quiet, be quiet. He says, the Lord brought me out of prison. You prayed for me, and the Lord brought me out of prison. He broke me free. And then he runs off to a safe place. And I love this verse in Acts 14, verse 18, where it says, In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. <laughs> Can you imagine how he gets past 16 soldiers, two of which he's chained to? This is the result of fervent, earnest, intercessory prayer. It is the church. Say the church. church. Laboring. Say laboring. In intercessory prayer. It says that the church prayed earnestly for him. Wouldn't it be nice if any time we prayed with enough passion, it happened? If we begged God seriously enough that he'd come through? Sometimes that happens, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we can beg God, and he doesn't give us what we want. This passage is from Acts chapter 12, and the story about Peter and prison starts at verse 3. But let me tell you what happens in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. There's a different disciple, James. Do you remember the three disciples who were closest to Jesus? There's Peter, James, and John. We just talked about Peter, who just got miraculously saved. But there's, there's James. And what it says about James in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, is that Herod, 
arrested James and put him to death with the sword. James had just been killed. The first of the 12 disciples to be martyred. We've got Peter, James, and John. James has been killed. Now Peter's in prison. Why is it that one gets saved and the other gets killed? Why is it that one dies and one is delivered? Was it because they were praying harder for James than they were for Peter? Did they have better prayers for Peter? Uh, The passage is clear that Peter is released from jail in response to the earnest prayers of the church. It is clear. Church, we do not control God. And God does not control us in prayer. But somehow in this divine partnership, sometimes there is mystery. And so who do we blame when our prayers aren't answered? Whose fault is it? J.D. Waltz of Seedbed says that there are three things we want to avoid when our prayers aren't answered according to how we want them to. We don't blame God. We don't blame ourselves. Oh, if only I just prayed better. If only I was better at praying. If only I prayed more. And we don't blame the faith of those we're praying for. We don't say, well, Peter had faith he was going to get saved, but, you know, James didn't have enough faith, so that's why he got killed. We don't do that. So what do we do? J.D. Walt writes, we blame the battlefield. We blame the spiritual war that is going on. We blame the chaotic, broken, fallen order of this fallen creation. And we keep on praying. We will win many battles. We will have some difficult losses. And we might frequently be left to wonder why some of our prayers are answered according to our expectations and others are not. Some of our prayers are answered how we want, and some of them are not. Which leads me to my third point. Remember who the real enemy is. We've got our parable here. We've got, we've got this judge. We've got this widow. Who's, who's the real enemy in the parable? It's not the judge. It's not the judge. As nasty as the judge is, as offensive and as selfish as the judge is, he's not the enemy. Remember what the widow says? She says, grant me justice against my adversary. There is another enemy out there. We get wrapped up in our stories and we think, I know who the enemy is. I know who the enemy is. It's this person. We think the enemy is God. We think God is our enemy. We start acting like God is our enemy and that God is the one who is the problem. And we forget that there is the supernatural realm out there where there is an adversary who is against us and against the kingdom of God. Remember who the real enemy is, and church, it is not God. 
There is an enemy at war with us. 2 Corinthians 11.14 says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. That means he's a faker. That means he wants you to think one thing about him. He looks beautiful. He looks good on the outside. But underneath there is a twistedness. There is an evil that is under there. Satan is called the deceiver, which means usually there's a little bit of truth. There's some truth in what he says, but then he twists it. He's a twister of things. There is an enemy at war with us, and the enemy would like nothing better than for you when you are pouring out your intercessory prayers, when you are begging the throne of God, when you are persisting in prayer, the enemy would love for you to think that God is like that unjust judge who is refusing to do what you want, and he would like to make you blind and deaf to the actual adversary that is at work. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Resist him. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. I think that so many people have fallen away from Christian faith today because they've gotten confused about who their enemy really is. This is important because if we get our enemy wrong, it's going to mess up our faith. Encouragement to persevere in intercessory prayer. Point number four. Our perseverance today will matter at the end times. Jesus says, it's kind of a funny thought, but, but Jesus concludes this parable, this teaching, by asking a question. He asks the question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He says, at the very end, when I come back for the second coming, he calls himself the Son of Man, referring to himself in the third person like that. He does all the time in the Bible. He says, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? Will I find that you are persevering? Will I find that you are persisting? Will you always pray still and never give up? Are you persisting? Will you be faithful to the end? Who will last? Who will still be holding on to the faith when I come back? Because Jesus wants us to always pray and never give up. The widow is persevering in the midst of being wronged, in the midst of injustice and unfairness, in the midst of wrong things of life happening to her. She's persisting. And Jesus says, I want you to always pray and never give up. Because he anticipates that the day is going to come when we're going to want to. In fact, Jesus tells us, if you follow me, you're going to eventually encounter difficulty. He says, if you follow me, there's a lot of good stuff coming at the very end when I come back at the end. Like, that's really good. But before we get to that point in time, there's a lot of other stuff along the way that's not so easy. He says, if you follow me, you will eventually encounter hostility and difficulty. 
And it's almost like he's thinking, when you encounter difficulties, he's like, I know you're going to look for deliverance. You're going to call out to me. You're going to look for deliverance, and you're going to look for answers to prayer. And if you don't find what you're seeking, you're going to become bitter. You're going to become disenchanted, disillusioned, disbelieving. Jesus anticipates our process like this. And to counter that, he says, so here's what I want you to know. I want you to always pray and never give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. He says, I am the loving father. You are the beloved chosen ones. You will not always understand my timing. You will not always understand why I delay. There may be reasons why maybe God is doing something in you in the process. Maybe God is doing something in somebody else in this process. Maybe there is a spiritual warfare battle like we talked about in the book of Daniel a few weeks ago that we can't even see that is taking time to get done. We don't have all of the answers, but we can trust that our God is not this unjust judge, but he is a loving heavenly father, and we are his chosen ones, his beloved sons and daughters that he has delegated authority to to rule on this earth, and he has invited us into the work of praying in participation with him on this earth. And he says, don't give up. Always pray and never give up. The day is coming when all will be made right. The day is coming when the unanswered questions will be answered. The day is coming when injustice will be made just. The day is coming when those who deserve punishment will receive it. The day is coming when wrongs will be righted, when sickness is healed, when all of the things that the heart, the cries of our heart long for is made right. And he says, when I come back, will I find your faith? Always pray and never give up. So it's our last week of boot camp. And I'm going to ask you, ask the Lord, God, what do you want me to persist in prayer this week? We're going to do one more week of assignments. And I'll be... Uh, my journey is, is usually when I'm asking you to do something, I've, I've thought in advance about what my personal response is going to be as well. And I hadn't thought of it today until during communion in the first service. And I, asked, I was asking the Lord, I was praying along as other people were praying along, and I asked the Lord, Lord, what do, you, what do you want me to persist in prayer? What's something that maybe I haven't been praying about that you want me to go back to praying about again? And he brought something to mind that I tell you what, I do not want to pray about that because it's painful painful. And I would much rather move on, but I knew from all of the testimonies that have been shared over the last three weeks, I knew it was the Lord speaking to me because so many of you have had the testimony of God put something on my heart that I did not want to pray for, and then I did, and I knew it was the right thing. You may have a completely different experience, and that's fine. But I want you to ask the Lord in this moment, Lord, I'm going to commit to praying about this for a week. I'm going, to, I'm going to do boot camp. I'm going to do this exercise. I'm going to dig in to the training component of growing deeper and stronger in prayer. I'm going, to, I'm going to lean into that exercise this week. Lord, what do you want me to persist in prayer about this week? 
someone told me before the service today, I just, I keep getting distracted. Like, it's just hard to stick with it. Like, my mind wanders. That's okay. Just keep trying. Pray and then pull, you, your mind wanders, pull yourself back in. Pray again. Your mind wanders, pull yourself back in. Do it a few times. Just always pray and never give up. Who's, who's has the standard of if you're praying good enough or not? Always pray and never give up. So I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord that question. And then I'm also going to invite you, uh, a few weeks ago we did a prayer text accountability. And so you could sign up to receive texts from the church twice a day. And it was just a prompt that said, uh, remember to pray, remember to pray, remember to pray. And we're going to do that one more time just this week. And if you would like to receive that, I found it personally very helpful. But if you would like to receive that, to put your name on a communication card, and when you come up for communion in just a few moments, drop those cards down here. Just write text on there so we know. Uh, and drop those cards down here, and we'll add you to that prayer prompt for the week. Having accountability like that is a great way to deepen your discipline. It helps you develop that habit when you don't already have a habit built in to do intercession in that way. And you know what comes after boot camp, don't you, church? Advanced training. But let's not be longtime Christians, and some of you here are longtime Christians, who have an elementary school faith, who have an elementary school prayer life. Let's deepen, let's grow. God's invited us to rule his creation with him. Prayer is the way that we do it. Prayer is the way we participate with him. And so, Lord Jesus, we come before you today and we ask you Lord, how do you want me to persist in prayer this week? What do you want me to persistently pray about this week? Lord, make, me, make us stronger. Build our prayer muscle. Build our prayer endurance and longevity. Train us, God. We think we can train ourselves, but we're going to be too easy on ourselves. And so we come to you, Holy Spirit. We submit ourselves to you, and we, and we say, train us, Holy Spirit. Train us. Deepen us for your purposes and for our joy. Your kingdom is advancing forcefully. Forceful people take hold of it. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I pray that your kingdom will break through on earth and that we will have the privilege of participating.